honestly, it usually starts from the top down. So if they have leaders, it doesn't have to be the CEO, but if they have leaders that are kind of pushing the envelope and bringing technologies into pieces of their own internal um, operation, and maybe even just testing those technologies, I've seen that that actually makes a huge difference because if they if they get like a small amount of people, say it's only a couple hundred in a big company on board, and they they bring the people in to help them not only use the technology, but make it better. It's sort of this, you know, domino effect. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. And I know I say the same thing every episode. But today, whew, I had so much fun talking to Sarah Nagy, who's an AI evangelist at Microsoft working with the AI engineering team there to help customers with their journey to a greater future uh, through these advanced technologies. And you'll find in the episode a very informative and highly energetic talk on topics ranging from how to be thoughtful about your career path, even if you don't have the background that you think you need, and Sarah can talk more specifically here, uh, and what people at the top level are concerned about in regards to the future of AI and what is working for answering some of these big cultural challenges as you'll get to see, she's constantly talking to C-suite executives in a special ecosystem up in Microsoft headquarters uh, in Redmond, and we'll talk more about that. And she talks about how she unblocks and, and sees to some of these challenges that these executive folks are thinking about. Um, with over 1,200 speaking engagements under her belt, she also talks about how to be a successful speaker and how to deliver a great message, which I personally loved about this episode. And finally... We have some pieces on why AI can only be great if it augments human beings. So crazy amounts of items here that are just super, super provocative. And some housekeeping, if you haven't already, please rate the show on iTunes and leave some feedback on what you thought. It helps me navigate future talks. And at the end of the talk, I also give out some contact info for how you can get a hold of myself and of course, the guests on the show. So now, finally, here we go. I bring you Sarah Nagy. Sarah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining the Data Binge podcast today. No problem. Happy to do it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I got a hold of you. Um, I met you, I think, last year. And uh, we were at an executive briefing center yes. over at Microsoft Redmond. <laughs> yes. it, was my, it was my first one. And I'll let you get into what that is later. And um, sure. we hosted some leadership, some uh, CIO and a CTO of a, a global architecture engineering company up there, one of our customers. Um, and you presented yourself along with, I believe, your manager at the time, Sean Alexander. Yeah. And you guys just had some incredible stories and some things that were going on, anecdotes and perspective about AI. And um, I've since then seen you at a hotel in, in, uh, <laughs> in LA where you were like randomly, I ran into you and you were presenting at Ivanta. Um, yep. It was one of uh, Gartner's marketing events. So... Yes, that's um, right. Yeah, so really lucky and glad to have you on. And if you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your journey and what you're doing today at Microsoft. Sure. Uh, so I have been at the company for 19 and a half years. Next June, it'll be 20. Uh, I have had a lot of different jobs at the company. I started in marketing. Uh, I moved into sales. Um, I had jobs in technical sales, in business development, I work with developers on how to integrate our applications um, on cool products like HoloLens and Cortana and Surface Hub. 
Um, and my most recent job in the last 18 months, I work inside of our AI engineering team and I am an AI technology evangelist. So part of why you saw me at all those places and part of why I'm traveling around and I'm at a lot of different events is that uh, my job is to focus on how to help customers with their AI journey. So that could be anything from helping educate them on here are all the new uh, cool products that we're offering. Here's how to get started. Uh, if they run into roadblocks, here's how to unblock those roadblocks. And so anything and everything in between. I do about 140 type of different sessions and events and um, talking, you know, speaking engagements a year, or at least that's how many I did last year. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, looking at your LinkedIn, it says you have 1200 speaking engagements. So it's <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots. Um, so I, you know, you, uh, you end up, you know, you, you mentioned about the hotel. I vaguely remember that, but you end up speaking a lot. And so sometimes you, you know, you're like, Oh, that's right. I was at that event. <laughs> Um, and so they kind of all run together um, at some point. But um, the great part about my job is that I get to meet and engage with so many different customers and I get to help them and they're all in different, you know, places in their journey. And so a lot of what my job is, is, you know, being that liaison or that um, person that helps guide them or navigate them through the matrix that is We do have a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of different products available. Wow. So, so 20 years at the company and, and it sounds like you've just done a tremendous, I mean, distinguished speaking, um, being a subject matter on the topic, uh, looked like you've had some director level roles as well. So you've probably, yep. uh, managed some initiatives and programs. Yep. Um, so, so tell, so tell us more, like, how did you get into this role? I mean, it's a fun job. You love it. Obviously you, I can feel your enthusiasm. We love yeah. having you talking to our customers because you just, customers just feel that you're excited. How'd you get into this role? So I mean, baby backing up is a, is a good, you know, thing here because, um, so I, um, I'd like to say that I am, um, thoughtful about um, every different job that I choose and, and my path. A lot of times though, it has a lot to do with, um, the people at the company and, you know, the path that that takes me on. And so, most of the best jobs that I've gotten have been because of some person that I worked with or some team that I've, you know, engaged with, or I've met and known someone um, and gotten a chance to work with them. And in my mind, I'm like, I, I want to work with that person again. I want to, you know, I want to explore that. And so part of how this job came up is that there is a senior leader in the company who I've worked under or for numerous times in different roles and sometimes didn't, sometimes did. Uh, and we were having a mentoring session and, um, this is two and a half years ago. And I brought up and, and, uh, said, Hey, um, as you're thinking about your next roles in the company, if you think there would be something interesting that you think that I should look at, uh, you know, tell me. And so he gave me a couple of recommendations. This was one of them. Um, and it just so happened to be that he went over to work in that team and when roles came available, um, he, he said to me, you should apply for this particular job because I think you'd be great at it and know that there's a ton of other people that are applying for it. But I think you have all the right, you know, skills as well as personality for this job. And, and so I applied and there were a lot of people that interviewed and I got the job, which was great. Um, but I think a lot of it had to do with um, if you've worked with people before and they understand your, your skills and capabilities, 
I wasn't an expert on AI, um, but whenever I get involved in any type of product, I go crazy and I dive deep and I study and I learn and um, I'm self-taught. I don't have any background in any um, technology area. Um, so, but I don't think that that should stop you. I think that that um, is just, that just makes you work even harder. Um, so it had a lot to do with people uh, and it had a lot to do with um, just networking and keeping close to those people that I, you know, really respect and, and engage with at the company. Wow. So I, he- I heard a lot of there about how you're, you're putting yourself out there, um, yeah. but you, you have to, you know, there's some risk in, in doing that. So you're taking yes. a lot of calculated <laughs> risks, um, but and you don't have a technology background. You don't have a, like a, you're not like, Oh, computer science, this computer science, that, nope. which nope. I mathematics, this mathematics, that, which I love <laughs> because people who are listening, shouldn't be daunted by those things if they have the energy that you have. Right. Um, so there's a people aspect, a networking aspect, kind of put your, putting yourself out there. And, and then more of this, the self-taught business. What's, what's that about? And like, where does that come from? Um, that's this, is a hard sub- this is a hard subject, right? Yeah, it's a hard subject. I, I think, so before I was at Microsoft, I um, started my own company. Um, and I was, um, there's a small story behind that, but, um, I think it's a desire to learn. That's one thing, um, related to being self-taught is I have a passion for learning. I have a passion for technology. So it's not to say that, you know, I couldn't have gone and got, you know, some particular degree in this. I just, when I was younger, I didn't know, I didn't have anybody guiding me or giving me direction and, and helping say, Hey, you are good at these things. Maybe you want to look at this type of career. Um, I got no guidance. So I thought, well, what do I like to do? What am I interested in? And so every time I would look at those types of uh, areas, I would look to see like what's available for me to study and learn and, and absorb. And, you know, nowadays, you know, when I was a kid, there was no internet, <laughs> there's no cell phones, right? Um, nowadays, everything's at your fingertips. You know, you can go online and watch a, a video, you can listen to a podcast, you can really, you know, delve into the content and, and become at least maybe not a subject matter expert, but you can learn a lot. And so, um, getting back to the company piece, I, um, there was a guy that I was working for and I was working night and day and I was exhausted and I wanted to quit. And so he took my wanting to quit as he thought when I said that I wanted to quit, that I wanted to leave and start my own company and take away all of his customers. That was not my intention, nor was it what I was looking to do. But all the other people working for him um, came to me and said, hey, if you leave and start your own company, we'll come and work for you. And so I, being the risk taker that I am, I um, went and got a business license. I maxed out my credit cards. I bought a bunch of computers and I started my own business and I took away all of his customers. So um, there's not just the desire to self-teach, but also just the desire to not fail, I guess, is, is a lot of what this is, is that I thought, you know, I could probably do this. And so a lot of times in my mind in these roles, I think, you know, could I do this or not? If I think that I could do it, then I go 125%. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that, and that's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to come back to that because I, I really like what you were saying there. It's just super inspiring. I think young people, people of all ages need to be hearing stuff like that. Um, so going back to this place that we met, you know, this, this executive briefing center, you know, what's, what's your best description for that? Um, and I know it's a place where it's, it's meant to land a specific message um, yeah. for, for leadership 
um, and, and to have really have it resonate and to have it be a very intimate setting. Can you just talk about the way that that space is created and some of the messaging that you've landed um, and some things that you've noticed by having these conversations in this space? Yeah, so um, we have a couple of different exec briefing centers. The flagship is in Redmond. And um, the executive briefing center, imagine this as the pinnacle of every piece of our technology. Um, It is one of the most beautiful facilities that you'll ever step foot in. Um, Because we are, you know, we have um, the the best tech. We have the best uh, outfit um, for, you know, meeting rooms. Um, Every, all of the new latest and greatest will show up at this facility before it shows up somewhere else. And this is a place where we bring customers in to really help them in a comprehensive way understand what we have to offer as a company. So, you know, everything from what we're doing as a broader company society-wise, from a security or cybersecurity perspective, like in particular industries, um, all the way to my role, which is focused on product specific. So I come in and talk more specifically about what are we doing to build these products? How are we actually working with other customers to implement them? How do you get engaged with us? Uh, what are, what is the latest that you can see? Um, how do you, um, you know, get engaged and um, are, are able to utilize these, these different products and services. And so it's, um, like I said, the pinnacle of what we offer. And um, this is the, the best place to bring customers in to give them kind of the A to Z of Microsoft um, and everything that we can, can help them with as a, as a company. That's great. And then so, and, and you're just you're just seeing so many. I mean, you're at the very forefront of seeing what's working, what's not working, because you're talking to people and you're talking to customers. You're not sitting behind a cubicle and, and designing and, and, and engineering, which is, I mean, a, a vastly important function. But you're yeah. out there and you're figuring out, and you're there's a lot of learnings there. Is there like a specific, like let's say, like a, a time that you can remember or a learning that you had when some executives came in? and you were trying to craft a message, do you remember uh, a time that there was like an aha moment? Or I, I, you're probably an expert at reading a, a room at this point. So like, you know, what's what's the deep, like how do you land a, a good message for how um, you're evangelizing some of these products like artificial intelligence and things like that? Like it, what's the golden standard for just getting that wow moment? I think, um, so. I mean, I hate to say this, but it sort of depends. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. So um, first and foremost, before customers ever come into the, the briefing itself, I've done a lot of work myself to prep, to understand what is it that they want to accomplish? Who's coming to visit us? Um, you know, what's their experience level? Really, Let's talk about AI because that's what I do. But, you know, how much do they know about AI? Um, are they using any AI? Uh, you know, are they looking at competition and what are the kinds of questions they might have? Because if you don't do a good job preparing before the customer comes in uh, and understanding what their expectations are, they aren't going to have a great experience and neither are you. Um, now, I've had a couple of situations where even though there was a lot of prep, you know, there's a wild card or something happens in the particular room. And um, I don't know if this is a gold standard, but I've thrown away the slides and just sat down and had a conversation with the customer. I mean, we're all people. People want to talk to people um, to do business. They don't want to have death by PowerPoint. So yeah. uh, <laughs> as I like to call it. So if the conversation is going awry or if there are 
things that are happening and you can tell the audience isn't listening or it's not resonating with them, throw away the slides and just, you know, ask the question. I've actually stopped a presentation and said, it seems like this isn't what you want. It seems like you're not getting from me, you know, what you came here for and you traveled all this way to our facility. I don't want to waste your time. Help me understand how I can help you. And the conversation went a completely different way. So I, like, I hate to say that it depends, but it really does depend. If you've done a great job, that probably won't happen. But you never know. People, they might have invited someone else. People may have, you get a lot of different agendas in the room. I think you have to really um, not be a robot and look to see like, what do people want to get out of this session? Not just what I can tell them, but what do they really want to know about us? How do they want to leverage Microsoft? And I'm so glad that you that you said that because in you were probably rolling your eyes at this particular EBC where we're at because <laughs> I, I remember and you've been there we've all been there before where someone is presenting they've done a lot of work in putting together their deck and they have to drain the deck yeah, yeah. Have, and it's just like hey we only yeah. have five minutes left okay let me just speed the deck and right. it, and it just doesn't land and um I didn't see. Um, your group doing that at all. You guys seem just so professional and very empathetic for what was going on. Um, so like, what are businesses, does it seem like to you, just kind of going, drilling down into the business, what are people worried about today at the top level? You you talk to more top level people than anybody I've, I've ever met probably. What are yeah. they worried about? And in, in specifically um, with AI and data. Yeah, I think a couple things. Number one, everybody seems to be worried that you know, computers are going to take over, <laughs> that it's going to be Terminator and, you know, the computer is going to get a mind of its own. And um, that's not the case. Um, and, you know, as maybe a little segue, I'll say that when I first took this job, I was a little freaked out by AI. And part of why I stayed in the role and why I love the role so much is if you, if you want to be part of how technology changes or how you see it evolve, you need to stay in that role to be part of the change. Um, so, you know, that aside, you know, executives are worried about, um, will, you know, will technology start to become so smart that people become obsolete? Um, how do I culturally shift and change my company so that they can adapt to these different um, technology changes? So for example, um, you know, we speak to a lot of huge enterprise customers. They don't quickly, uh, adopt technology like we do as a technology company. Um, a lot of times it takes years and years and years to shift what they're going to adopt because they have legacy systems, they have regulatory challenges, they have, there's a lot of different things that they're concerned about. And so how do they not only integrate the technology, but how do they actually get everybody on board at the company? Um, you know, cultural challenges are probably, you know, second, if not close to first related to, I'm scared about AI and I don't think I can get my people on board with it. Um, and those are th th that in addition to business problems, like I have data in all these different places. I acquired four different companies that have, you know, seven different CRM systems. I, you know, it's, it's a um, digital challenge in addition to, you know, like a people challenge. Got it. And, and and some of the data is showing, you know, you see some of these like McKenzie comes out with these charts and it's like, oh, the, the biggest um, uh, problems with, di you know, digital manufacturing is A, culture. Like people right. aren't yeah. in a digital culture and it's probably hard. Um, have you seen anything 
for you that's been an aha moment where you were listening to a customer, you've listened to seven sets of customers, and then you started to see a pattern for the ones that are actually starting to adopt? Is there a, a an inflection point? Is there something that helps them get over the line? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it may sound simple, but honestly, it usually starts from the top down. So if they have leaders, it doesn't have to be the CEO, but if they have leaders that are kind of pushing the envelope and bringing technologies into pieces of their own internal um, operation, and maybe even just testing those technologies, I've seen that that actually makes a huge difference because if they if they get like a small amount of people, say it's only a couple hundred in a big company on board, and they they bring the people in to help them not only use the technology, but make it better. It's sort of this, you know, domino effect where those people will, you know, encourage other people and they'll see that, hey, it's not, they're not just pushing this on me, they're actually asking for my feedback as to how I want to use it. And they're taking that feedback and then they're implementing that. And so um, I think it, it's the, the top leaders have to, or, or there used to be a name for them in one of the classes that I took, but, you know, I think we called them the Fox, but, you know, somebody who's influential, even if they're not the top leader or a leader that's actually kind of pushing change um, in general. And that, that usually makes a huge difference culturally. Got it. So you're, so you're saying it, it, it's a top-down approach, um, basically starting small. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of these conversations, so it's quick wins. And then, but it's also, you're also going into this new realm of, Hey, you need to start talking to the users and microtransactors. Um, like, you know, we, we hear this term all the time, the UATs, the user adoption testing. Yeah. Um, you think that's a big component of it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some, I won't mention the name, but, you know, one of our, a huge customer of ours that is, um, offers consumer products to, you know, multi-billions of people in order for them to start adopting some of these technologies that they wanted to offer to their customer base, they started internally with a set of 2000 employees and they basically for a year tested this with the 2000 employees and then grew it to, you know, 10,000, then 20,000, then, you know, um, and so on inside their company before they ever rolled it out to customers because they thought if we're not going to use it ourselves and if we can't get our employees on board, how do we expect our customers to actually use this technology? So, and, and the cus the internal teams felt like really a part of the company because they had something to do with, not only bringing on board the technology, but shaping how it actually was implemented later. That's beautiful. And I, I think I've seen that here at Microsoft where it's, you know, we eat our, some people say you eat your own cooking yeah. or the, you know, dog you food. Your own dog food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't eat our own dog food because I want my apps to work. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you get I all the food. eat a lot of our dog food. <laughs> you? <laughs> yes. Some taste delicious. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. Um, so, you know, we're diving into this area of like how we can all personally impact technology. Um, and we're talking about like the users, but we're also talking about how top down you have these foxes and these folks that want to implement change. Um, how, like is, how do you, in going back to AI and I've had some, um, interviews with, um, folks on our team, women, in fact, who were talking about the importance of diversity in AI mm -hmm. and how it's just incredibly important to have machines and machine language um, having a diverse perspective so that they are making calculations that represent the whole of society. Yeah. Um, do you, does that come up a lot? And do you have any personal um, 
um, feelings about that? Yeah, so I think, so a couple things I would say. One is um, diversity as a term, I don't always necessarily think of women. Um, I think it just means different perspectives, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's one thing, but I, I, like, I get where you're going. I think um, there's a couple of things. One is that it's super important to have every different type of perspective, every different type of culture represented. Uh, We actually uh, have a team that we call Ether inside of the uh, Microsoft, and it stands for AI and ethics loosely. It stands for AI and ethics um, in AI ethics in engineering research, I think is is what it um, stands for. But uh, the, the crux of that is that we have a whole ethics board that looks at making sure we're taking into account diverse perspectives, every different type of culture, uh, do, you know, people have disabilities, um, how do people learn, how do people adapt to technology, and when we're building AI, we're looking at that specifically, make sure that we're trying to do the best we can to be as unbiased and as transparent and as fair as possible. So I think Microsoft does a good job of that, and I think we've really focused on that. When it related to, you know, women and um, looking at them in AI, you know, we don't have enough women that are just in technology jobs as a whole. And so I do a lot of speaking engagements for STEM events with girls. Uh, I do a lot of women in technology events because I think, you know, I don't have a technology background. I think it's important to tell people there are so many different jobs that you could do in this company and in this organization where you don't necessarily have to be an engineer. You don't have to be writing code. And if that's what's scaring you away, look at all these other different roles that will then bring a much more diverse perspective to actually how we not just build technology, but how we work with customers and how we roll that out and implement that. So I think all of those things are important. And I agree. I I think, um, uh, you know, diversity so often is coupled with, you know, are you, are you black? Are you Mexican? Are you a woman? Right. Do you have physical or mental augmentations? But your, to your point, it's experience, it's locate geography, it's sexual orientation. Yeah. Age. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's just a million things. Guys like me who are going bald and folks like <laughs> yourself who have a full head of hair. <laughs> so yeah. all- you look distinguished. You call yeah. that distinguished. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's wonderful. And then, you know, as part of your women in, in, in technology and some of the things that you're doing there in, in STEM, um, what, what could, what does that look like? And like, well, where do you think it needs to further develop there? Um, all of us technologists or people who are interested in technology, what what could they be doing um, additionally to help out, do you think? I think, well, first of all, I think that in general, we need both women and men talking at these events. I think, you know, a lot of times they'll ask women to speak to women and girls and help them understand, you know, and I get I get the reason for that, but it doesn't mean that there aren't men that don't have great perspectives that they could offer to these, these girls as well. And so I think we have to be balanced in how we do it. Um, I also think we just need to do more. And so um, we'll have coding events at um, on campus, where we tend to, I think, which I, I love, try to bring in schools that maybe are, I'll call them, you know, maybe a little bit underprivileged. In other words, they don't have the best technology, they're maybe not in the best neighborhood. Um, I think we have to do that because a couple of years ago, I used to work a lot with education customers, and some of the feedback that they gave me was, hey, Microsoft's great, but you tend to go to the same sets of schools with the same types of kids, 
Um, so you're not being very diverse. If you're going to the Ivy League schools or the top schools and trying to recruit candidates, you need to get people from every different you know, place. It doesn't necessarily mean they aren't a good candidate uh, if they didn't go to some of these other different schools. And so I think we have to do that as well because there's smart people everywhere uh, and there's a lot of richness that you can get culturally and just from a different perspective from uh, a different geography um, versus going to the same spots in the same times because it's, you know, there's some type of a, um, a you know, a good perception around those those locations. So I think we need to do more in, in places that don't have as much privilege. Good points. And um, I'm, I'm sure that it's pretty powerful that you're able to just talk at this executive level and then you're able to go and, and speak to just a completely different background of people, right? Yeah. And I'm sure that's, that's very rewarding. Um, I love it. For, for people who aren't good at speaking. So <laughs> let's, let's, I mean, there's a million things I, I want to ask you and I mean, we're, we're limited on time. Um, but I want to know more about, you know, how do you become a good speaker? Um, what's your, uh, what's, what do you, and, and, and a lot of folks aren't. And myself included, I, I'm, I get so much anxiety over speaking. And my wife's like, what are you talking about? You're great. But I'm like, but I have anxiety. And I, if people are saying I'm great, like, wh- what if you, you're not great? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. can you have like 10x the anxiety? Um, yeah. So like, what have you, like, what have you learned? You're talking around the country. You're going around. You're talking about AI, something you don't have a technical background in. You know, what gives you that, that reassurance and that, um, bravado to just deliver a great message? Well, the first thing I would say is if you aren't nervous and you don't have anxiety, then there's something wrong with you <laughs> because everybody gets nervous and everyone has anxiety. I think it's, um, and to be honest, like that's a good thing. It means you care you know, you want, you want, uh, to do well. Um, secondly, it's, you know, this might sound simple, but it's repetition. You know, you have, um, like when I prepare for a talk that I have to give in front of hundreds of people, I, this is a little trick I do. I usually write out my notes, how I talk, not how I write. And so my writing usually looks better because I have a chance to review it and change it and delete it. How I speak. Um, I'm pretty real, you know, I I don't, um, mince words. And so I try to write my notes, how I would actually say them. And then I practice, 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 practice. And I, you know, like this is, uh, I will put my laptop in my car next to me or in my seat next to me in my car. And on the way to work, I will do my presentation like four times and then I'll do it on the way home four times. And pretty soon you do it so much. You're like, I'm sick of it. Like, you know, I mean, you're, you're, it's like, Slides don't even have to show up and it'd be second nature. So I think that's, those are a couple of, you know, little things, but you're going to get nervous. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just, I think you have to do it again and again. I was at a um, conference in New York. Gosh, must've been like a month ago. Um, and the poor guy that presented before me um, was an engineer and he doesn't speak at conferences very often. And he went on and he really struggled and he came backstage. I went on and came back and he's like, Oh, you're really good. Like, you know, um, I, I want to be a better speaker. Like, what should I do? And I said, well, I hate to tell you this, but you got to do more of it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like, yeah. you know, put yourself out there, put yourself in these tough situations. And, you know, it's like, I get nervous still, but I think you just have to have enough. Um, if you're prepared enough and it's something that you are, have studied enough, um, it becomes a lot easier. Um, talking about things you aren't comfortable or familiar with are always going to be hard. So. I'm, I'm like smiling to myself because, um, either I'm a weirdo 
And you're not. No, either I thought I was a weirdo and now I'm not, or we're both weirdos because we're both weirdos. It's okay. Yeah, it, I've, uh, I got this, this, um, I was interning at Fiat Chrysler over in Detroit and I had, uh, when I was in business school and I had one of my mentors and I thought I delivered this great PowerPoint presentation. He's like, Hey, that totally sucked. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I thought he's like, no, you rambled. And I, he sat down with me and said, look, write down your notes on your deck, exactly how you would say it. Yep. Practice it. Yep. And I did that. And I also, at the same week, I was like listening to some podcast with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he was like, my first speech with the governor, I practiced 120 times. And I'm like, <laughs> what? But it, you're, you're totally right. It works. It's like it repetition works. completely works. The other thing, the one last thing I would say about that, and I, this is what I told this this guy as well, is the audience wants you to succeed. So like you have to remember that. Like they don't want you to stumble and fail for the most part. I mean, there's always what I call the stump the chump, the guy that like you know wants to ask you some hard question and you know see if you can flail around and answer it. But um, <laughs> most people in the audience want you to do well. So like remember that. You know, you don't have to envision them in their underwear, like you know people say. But you know they they want you to do well and they're hoping that you don't make a mistake. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, sometimes I get anxiety watching people that are struggling because oh, I'm like, I just want them do. to do better. You know, I, I just want to watch Bruno Mars every single time <laughs> I see someone talk. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. And no, I, I totally agree. I'm like, that's exactly how I am. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So, you know, in, as you start to, think about, you know, artificial intelligence, Sarah, we've, we've covered some great things here. Um, you know, what are, where do you see this industry going? Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on. You see these, some of these tech companies, the Googles and the Facebooks, they're just, you know, the implications for how regulation is going to impact them is massive. Um, yeah. you see these superpowers like Apple and, and Microsoft who are saying, well, you know, are your data is a personal right and people are getting scared and, I don't know if you if you've um, heard of this guy An Andrew Yang, who's mm -hmm, yep. running running for president, Universal Basic Income. I um, met him actually. Did you really? at a conference? Yeah. <laughs> did you got? Did he start beating you up on AI? No, we had an argument. One hundred percent. Very healthy argument. <laughs> Great. So, can you can you actually? This is fun. Can you tell us about like that interaction and? Yeah. So he his. I get his thought process. So he basically um, is, I think he has the right idea, but his idea is a bit far out, like as if we were all Star Trek where, you know, no one had any money and everybody got fair amounts of credits. And, you know, we lived in this, this amazing, amazing, you know, Utopia. world. What's that? Utopia. Or, Utopia. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so he, wants to have universal based income for everyone, basically meaning, you know, everybody gets the same type of, of money um, to kind of level out the playing field. And, you know, the argument I had with them, we were talking about um, AI autonomous um, driving semis. Um, and he said it would be cheaper. That is the argument we got into because I have a Tesla and we were talking about uh, AI, uh, you know, driven cars and, the argument we got into was about, he said it would be cheaper to let the truck drivers stay at home because they have so many disabilities and so many challenges with health um, and just give them a universal based income and then have AI based um, semis out there delivering different workloads. And like I'll, you know, net it out. Basically what I explained to him is you can't have great AI without people. And so there's no such thing as, you know, just basic AI that, 
eventually will, you know, all work by itself without human beings. And the whole purpose of artificial intelligence is to really like augment and help us as people. And so, you know, our conversation was, I said, listen, if this were, you know, 50, 100 years in the future, maybe what you're saying is possible. But you also have to look at the reality of society today. And, you know, there are third world countries that just won't have the type of technology. So unless you can get every single car on the road being autonomous, you're going to have challenges unless you can get, you know, make all of these changes. And so my recommendation was you need to start smaller. You can't go so you know, buckshot at, with this philosophy. So we had an interesting dialogue over lunch. I'll, I'll just say that. that that's great. So I, I follow him. And again, he's running for president in 2020. Yes. He really believes in universal basic income. I heard him on a Sam Harris podcast who I, I yeah. really love following as well. Um, and I got into a, not a spat, but like I made a comment and he made a <laughs> comment. My comment was kind of along the, long, along the lines of, um, you know, just like what you said, it's a, it's human intelligence will become an augmentation of the, the yeah. physical, you know, robotics or machines and our intelligence together. Right. Um, I, I, I completely believe that. So as we start to prepare for this future, Sarah, and you're talking to folks and you're like, you know, having battles with, with uh, Andrew Yang in, in <laughs> Chicago or wherever, um, yeah. you know, and people are raising their hands and they're saying, you know, Sarah from Microsoft, Tell us how we can prepare for this future. You know, what are, what are your comments? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, a lot of what I do um, is just level set on the hype of, of what is out there around AI. Um, you know, because I think people have this perception that you sprinkle fairy dust on things and AI comes in and just makes everything better. And so I think people need to have a much better understanding of what it actually is and how it works. And you know, have an under, an expectation then of what it is that can be done. So, you know, just educating and level setting um, on the technology. And then I think there's always going to be new research. There's always going to be new technology that's coming out and pushing the envelope. And again, I pivot back to you cannot make great AI without humans. And so you need that human um, engagement piece and you always need you know, people um, in the mix. So if you look at things like, you know, years and years ago when there were steam shovels um, and before the steam shovels, there were people that were digging ditches. So when the steam shovel came along, it displaced all those, you know, manual labor workers. So you can, you have a choice there. You can teach them how to operate the steam shovel, how to repair the steam shovel, how to, you know, do some of these other better jobs, or they become obsolete. So we also have to look at that. How do we alleviate some of the mundane tasks from humans, get them working on the more complex, harder things by this wave of technology so that they don't have to spend their time on some of these, you know, these mundane types of things. And who wouldn't that make their life better? So, you know, there's positives and negatives to, to all of this. And I think people just have to have a, to be educated, that they need to get themselves educated on what actually is really real. And then we have to keep human beings in the mix of all of this. Got it. It's, and it's, it's the same messaging that we, that we tell our customers. Let, let, us, let us start to leverage the power of your data state so you can focus on your business's proprietary functions. Right. Not, not attorneys looking for clauses in 3,000 page uh, folders when we can, ha- we right. can scan it and use you know, uh, all kinds of different technologies to look for the, the different wording and, and phrases. Um, well, and then if, if you think, like if you take that too as an example and you take it a step further, think about the implications in a positive way of like AI and healthcare. 
being able to identify patterns in diseases and help find cures. A computer can do that calculation or those types of calculations so much faster and in such a larger capacity than a single person could do. So why not use the technology for good? Um, you know, we have these initiatives, AI for Earth, AI for Accessibility, AI for Humanity, where we're spending $115 million to help do things like model the Earth's water supply, to be able to make sure we have enough water in 20, 30 years uh, in places where there's water shortages. And are those, those are Microsoft initiatives? Those are Microsoft initiatives, yeah. $115 million in grants, um, where we're spending... Um, and allowing customers to apply for those grants for all of these great initiatives that help the planet. Um, that's a great way to use AI in a positive fashion. Wow, that's incredible. I, you know, I didn't know about that at all. I'm, I'm, I, there's a, there's a, uh, an organization I know that I should probably send this information to. Um, yeah. I read this book, uh, Rise of the Robots by Martin Ford, and it was great. And he talked, he got, this is how I got into tech. He talked about you know, if you have a computer or a, robo uh, a, a robotic machine working on, you know, uh, someone's grandma in Australia, um, and your grandma needs the same operation right. here in LA, you know, if those were done by doctors, it would take years to, for them right. to read each other's journals or work where yeah. you can get that proprietary information instantaneously over the cloud. Um, right. and that, that's what really got me into the, into the subject. Wow. This is such a fun conversation, Sarah. So what's next for you? So that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I've had some great mentors um, at the company and in general, my philosophy on, you know, what's next and what I do in my career, um, I kind of need three good things or three things. Um, I need to work with great people, um, which I do. I need to work on amazing, cool products that, you know, make a difference. I do. Uh, and I need to work for a great company that helps me with a variety of different things, including things like I do a lot of charity work. Um, Microsoft is that company. And so when I have those three things uh, aligned, that's why I've changed jobs so much at the company. It, it I don't want to say it doesn't matter what products I'm working on, but it, it matters less when those three things are part of the equation. So if I have a great team of people and great people I work with and the product's amazing and, you know, Microsoft's an amazing company, I'm happy. Um, so I wish I had it all worked out for you, but <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell, I'm a little bit of fly by the seat of my pants sometimes. So, <laughs> which, which is great, which is great. Well, I really appreciated this talk, Sarah. This was so fun. And next time I'm in Seattle or you're in LA, you better ping me. We need to like get, get, you know, geeked out on some caffeine or go grab a beer or Absolutely. something. Have some more of these conversations because this is super fun. Um, and cool. how can folks get a hold of you? Um, LinkedIn, um, Twitter? Yeah, I have a Twitter account. It's at Sarah Nagy um, on Twitter. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I have a funky LinkedIn. It's, uh, I don't know I if you'll include it in the, the I could podcast. Drop it in the show. Yeah, I could drop yeah. it in the show notes. Yeah, it's like I, I think back when when I started my LinkedIn, it, I, I wasn't as savvy to like have some you know great LinkedIn um, profile name. It's like Sarah Nagy three nine four two, you know, like one of yeah. those like long like terrible to read. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. And are and are you open to folks reaching out and just connecting? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, part of if you've looked at my LinkedIn profile, I have a lot of connections, and I would say that a lot of people I get connected with via these types of um, engagements or events. Um, or speaking at briefings. Great. This is fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Really, really great having you on and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay.
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.